watching For the Billions podcast. Today we have Matt and Zach from I'm Not Art here. Welcome, you guys. Thanks, Cammy. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, and if you are watching the podcast on YouTube, we are currently in the I'm Not Art Metaverse Gallery on Voxel. So you can watch us record and have this conversation in their virtual gallery, which is really cool. So getting into it, we like to ask our guests and you know the, co- the founders, co-founders that come on our podcast, um, like what got you interested in crypto, blockchain, Web3, like what was really the straw that broke the camel's back and, and provoked you to get into the industry? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it's a great place to start. And both Zach and myself um, are early crypto adopters, early crypto users, and I think really went down that rabbit hole earlier than most in terms of understanding what crypto could mean for for humanity at large and, and in general. And so um, I was fortunate to have a, a friend that was really into Bitcoin and had me had me look at it and start kind of experimenting a little bit in 2015. And then um, in 2016, I kind of found Ethereum and I uh, was just blown away about the, the potential um, capacity that the applications were, were just seemingly endless. And so um, that's a little bit about how I kind of fell down that rabbit hole, uh, and that was about 2016. And from then on, I was just obsessed with what you can build on top of Ethereum. What about you, Zach? Yeah, similar rabbit hole for me. Just using the stuff, using Bitcoin, sending small amounts to my friends, um, taking that stuff then into Ethereum and seeing some of the cool early applications that were being built on it, and some of the early promises of, you know, microtransaction-based economies and. Um, Kind of how it all looped in for video games for me was kind of the big eye-opener just because that's what I was into at the time, still into it. Um, and it all kind of tied back to that to me. It was all the similar marketplace, similar economy, similar subset of people. So seeing it kind of extend and the, the promise of it going from a niche, you know, kind of gamer, cryptophile, tech kind of early technology to what it could become with mass adoption and better applications and better technology was that's kind of how I got into it and how I thought of it early and you wanted to be part of making all of that happen definitely um, which we're glad that you both decided to you know take that dive and, and start I'm not art and so with that being said what were you working on before I'm not art how did I'm not art come to be tell us the the story there yeah, you know, I'm Not Art really started off as like a passion project where it was just a group of friends that had met through video games um, over the last decade plus. And uh, we just saw an opportunity to kind of just build something with the unique skill set that all of the team members had. We had um, people like me that kind of come from more of a marketing, digital, you know, strategy analytics background. Um, we had people that come from more development focused mindset. So they started learning Solidity. Uh, we had people that were more in kind of the operations type role, started helping that. Uh, and Zach, we call the, the Zach of all trades, uh, was able to plug and play and really fit in in so many different places and now leads our entire metaverse build efforts and, and, and everything there. And so, you know, it was really, I think, a natural kind of story where we kind of all, all came together in March of last year, 2021, um, and decided we want to build something in the space. And from there, we took a number of pivots. Like even at that stage, if you had asked us if we'd have a physical gallery, we would have said, we're, we're, "Like, you're crazy. There's no way we would ever do that. Art is not our background." Um, but we started 
um, having success in the metaverse was kind of our first pivot. We started building community in the metaverse, not sure where it would go or what it would lead, uh, and ended up getting really popular hosting these free open call art exhibitions online. And so we like to say that we're um, born in the metaverse, built in Chicago, or that we're metaverse native. And it's really true because we had no idea to have a physical presence until we had had some success online. And then thought that that would be a powerful kind of just continuation evolution of this community, of this concept to say, hey, what if we create a physical location, rebuild that in the metaverse, and then invite our, our metaverse friends who we've been, you know, been, been hanging out with on Thursday nights with the physical community here in Chicago. And so it's a little bit about our kind of weird path of building kind of where we got here. Yeah, and the physical spot was kind of, it was a novelty broken from the metaverse where it was like, okay, well, you can kind of take this literally one meta layer deeper and put what you're doing in the physical spot into the metaverse, we saw how inherently we just saw that there was value in people gathering together in any sort of social platform. Especially with the COVID. I mean, that's the NFT boom happened really with COVID kind of starting to some of those things starting to relax a little bit, but still it was like there needed to be whether you're right, physical or, or digitally, these spaces where people could come and meet, whether that be a Discord and the physical side didn't have a lot of options because of COVID, because there was lack right. of Web3 native venues or meeting spaces. And yeah, so we so really hit the perfect time, I think. The time, yeah, right, exactly. It was that COVID timing too, where it, you know a lot of people had that COVID timing, whether it was like, you know, you had a kid during COVID and it was the perfect opportunity because you were home all day. You had a puppy, the countless COVID puppies. You know, we had a little COVID project and it was yeah, like, okay, well, we're all just hanging out here in Discord anyway. Like there's something to that in and of itself. Um, we started to see, you know, we saw CryptoPunks, we saw art blocks, we saw the movement starting in picking up more momentum than it was earlier on where it was like, you know, the non-fungible token was something way earlier than this cycle. Um, but we saw what that was gaining traction with parallels to digital collectibles and yeah, video games yeah. the, the art style that was kind of coming from like the art block style of, of um, genre that was extremely exciting to us and so you know we just thought okay there's something to having people around sitting around a virtual something um, there's something to nft technology and there's something to this generative art style and this generative art scene so it kind of all followed and was perfectly timed in creating something in this space. Yeah, I mean, I think that COVID was certainly a huge accelerator for, you know, more digital interaction and things that we've previously done in person uh, kind of starting to become a lot more digital, right? Um, so in that sense, it sort of makes sense that, you know, every, everybody kind of transitioned to, uh, you know, started pivoting to more uh, digital first experiences, yeah. right? But, you know, I'm really curious about, for both of you guys, what it was specifically that made you decide to stop everything you were doing and start building I'm Not Art. Like, yeah. what was the, if you can recall, kind of the exact moment or, you know, maybe the general moment in which, you know, you made that decision to, to launch into this full time and then, you know, what, what was kind of going through your head at that time? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I, I think... Um, the specific moment came to actually reading an article and it was uh, Mark Cuban had had kind of come out in early 2021 as kind of like a real Ethereum supporter, really kind of diving in, using the protocol, you know, actually using it, which I think is something that is the first step for everybody to really start understanding it. And um, he wrote an article and said, like, if I'm an entrepreneur and I'm starting a business, 
like it's an NFT related concept right now. And I had always been entrepreneurial, but had never really put together all of the pieces. And I was in a unique position where, you know, I was, I was working with some people that really, you know, brought a lot to the table in terms of kind of operations and also like kind of website front and back end. And um, my friends online, you know, varied from developers to crypto enthusiasts, video game experts in terms of metaverse um, and, and marketers. And so it was like, if I put all these resources together, I'd be crazy not to act on this right now because like in my Twitter bio, I say like, I quit my job every bull cycle and I hope this one's different, this time's different, which is very true because I had quit my job working in kind of traditional marketing in uh, 2018 during the last cycle and had to go back into the regular workforce and ended up finding a job. I was last working for, for US soccer. Um, but it just seemed like there was this moment where I had brought up NFT strategy for, you know, during my interview at, at my last job. And, and it was something that, I, you know, I, I had been on NFTs as a concept for a while. And then when NBA Top Shot really took off, this was like in the early, early stages, kind of NFT movement, still pre-board apes and a lot of stuff. Um, but all the sports organizations, everybody in the sports world, all they could talk about was NBA Top Shot. And uh, it was clear that all of the, the work, which I didn't know would ever be utilized for anything, of going down that rabbit hole in 2016, and all of the hundreds, thousands of hours spent on thinking about this type of stuff, now was the time that it was all gonna make sense or pay off. And so it was like, okay, I'm sitting in a really unique position. I straddle between the marketing and digital strategy realm, working with Web2 companies, and I have this really unique insight into not only kind of like Web3 and kind of where the blockchain and crypto is going, but digital collectibles as they come from video games. And so it was a perfect combination of like traditional Web2 skills around like kind of, you know, marketing overlaid with kind of video game knowledge around assets and then linking into finally this kind of the all this time I poured into just learning about this world. Uh, and it seemed clear like if I didn't take the step now, there would never be a, a time to do it. And I wouldn't have done it if I didn't have people like Zach, if I didn't have a great team around me that I knew could 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 build something true together. So yeah, yeah, that's my response. For me, it was seeing the team that was being built. It was seeing the motivation and then talking to Matt and really, really starting to know Matt deeper than just like our video game knowledge. Like we, you know, it, even in our video game circle, it was like, all right, chill guys about talking about cryptocurrency. Exactly, yeah. So even, even in there, it's, you, you don't have that spot where you can really go off. Um, and as we were working on things, as I saw things being built, and as I saw that you know there was an opportunity for me to contribute, to use all these different skill sets that I've developed over the course of just being a hop enthusiast and a hobbyist of these things, um, seeing that a lot of this can apply to this new industry that's popping up, and once I kind of understood what Matt's vision was, once I understood who he was and what we could build here, that's where I said, okay, that, I'm, down to, I'm down to leave my current job. I'm down to take that risk, you know, the, the sleepless nights of, you know, starting a startup and not knowing whether or not things are going to happen next month. And that anxiety was extremely high for me to overcome, but it was honest to God, Matt, his vision, and knowing that, okay, this is a place I can work, that I can actually 
see through some of the things that I want to see through and, and do some of the things I want to do in the industry uh, with creativity as well as with, you know, some abilities to do some of the larger things I want to do, some charity things and yeah. mechanisms that would be hard to get flowing in a large Web3 company. Yeah, I think, Zach, we really just saw an opportunity to really go for it, you know, in a way that you don't typically get that chance. And to not only kind of leap in that direction, but to go into this new industry and building and building around this concept that we hadn't seen done before anywhere in the world. Like when we built the gallery, there's only a couple NFT galleries in the entire world, and none of them had been born in the metaverse. None of them had a metaverse component. And still to this day, we're like the, the only kind of like digital venue that was built for the metaverse. And now it's been almost like a year and a half. We think this is the direction people are going, but we saw an opportunity to be you know, true kind of like experimenters. I don't want to call us leaders or any of the things people call us, but like we are, we are driving forward experimentation around the physical digital concept. And as people that are experienced people, we love music festivals, we love experiences. Like this is, it was a once in a lifetime opportunity to create the experiences we wanted to go to and see, but didn't exist yet. And it was like all those things then combined was, it just created this like this atmosphere and energy amongst our team and this community we're building because we know that hey like what we're doing isn't happening anywhere else. So cool to see how like Web three will influence culture and, and entertainment and events like that. And I think it's safe to say that you guys have like hit the ground running and really taken off with this you know this whole concept too. So. Hundred percent. You know we think that it's like really like the NFT space is really driving I think a lot of the culture of Web three if you will. Where Web3, as it has existed, you know, for a number of years now, has been very driven by kind of like developer mindset, have more hackathony, a lot of entrepreneurial, exactly, yeah. crypto building for crypto, right? And now it's just like such a welcome injection of creativity, which, mm -hmm. I mean, this whole this whole thing is creativity. Like when we talk about a like an, an art exhibition, a digital ex exhibition, like the smart contract that that issues the NFTs themselves is part of the art, and so like in an inherently creative medium, like to have true creatives come in that are coming from that, that world, like to us, that's what got us going. That's what, what we've built our community around because of just the energy that, that it fuels this pace. And you know, I think that's kind of what we're tapping into and have been able to kind of create a, a kind of a, a melting pot for is these creatives looking to get in the space that traditionally have only been, you know, kind of, open to more of a developer kind of mindset. Right. It's, yeah. it's cool to see all the room that's been made at the table for, for oh, yeah. creatives. For 100%. Sure. And important that we we onboard them because mm -hmm. it's such a, an opportunity if you are able to do this early, you know, to be able to truly um, be able to find success that you wouldn't otherwise. So. Yeah, I think, um, you know, something that really rings true in what you guys mentioned there was uh, the multidisciplinariness of crypto as a space, right? Uh, it's just so multidisciplinary, right? Because it brings in uh, a lot of concepts from a lot of different fields, right? So product design, cryptography, um, you know, software engineering, computer science, uh, even mathematics to 100%. some extent, oh, financial yeah. markets. Yeah. Um, you know, and then obviously if you're building a business, you're gonna need lawyers, you're gonna need marketing people. And so, you know, that's, I think, just one of the more most interesting things about it. Um, at Decasonic, we always say that there's expertise at the intersection of domains, oh, yeah. not yes. just in the domains themselves. That's a great thought. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, you might not be maybe the best software engineer or, you know, maybe 
the best um, artist, but maybe if you have the intersection of those skills, then, then you can be the best software engineer artist, right? And so um, we always think that that concept is very powerful, and, and I think it just kind of is generally the way the world is going, and, and crypto is kind of, uh, you know, just a facet of that, and, and, you know, kind of just that ultimately on display, that phenomenon. 100%. Um, just, just to quickly jump in there, because yeah. I think you touched on something that is we try to tell to our community as much as possible, which is that like you're talking about these these multifaceted skill sets that can kind of meld in the middle. You know, understanding Web3 language and being able to speak the language, being able to 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 speak the NFT world language, you know, whether you're a, a marketer, whether you're an artist, those are incredibly important skills where, you know, just because NFTs exist now doesn't mean that the number of self-sufficient artists based off their work is going to massively explode by 100x. It just doesn't. Like, yeah, there's a new medium, there's a global marketplace, there's new opportunities to get explored, discovered wherever you live. You know, the barrier, you know, the world is flatter than ever, but it's unrealistic to think that, okay, now NFTs exist. Now the struggle, the, you know, the motif or concept of the struggling artist, which is not acceptable in our opinion as gallery owners, but exists for a reason, is not gonna drastically change just, just overnight. But there are so many skills that just by entering the Web3 space that you can take to a marketing job, a social media thing, whatever video, whatever you're doing. So it's like, yes, come in as an artist, you know, and learn the language. And then there's so many more opportunities beyond just being a successful, oh, I, my, I sell NFTs for a living. Mm -hmm. So that's like, we're always thinking about how do we build a community that like in the most responsible fashion? How do we not look like, or, you know, take advantage of this community? How do we empower it through our education events? And so that's a really important one is that like, just learn the language, whatever you're doing, there's applications kind of in web three, almost, almost across the board. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, part of the culture of Web3 is learning a lot, right? And just yep. in a community. So it's kind of a great community to learn. So there might be artists that come in and develop software engineering skills. There might be 100%. software engineers that come in and develop more creative skills, um, et cetera, et cetera, right? And so that melting pot is, you know, kind of a very unique cultural aspect that I see in crypto that I love. 100%. Um, and, and like to that end, right, I think ultimately we discussed you know kind of the moments in which you guys decided okay we're going to jump into this full time and, and we really want to take the risk here and we love this community what do you think um more broadly speaking are some good reasons and some bad reasons that ultimately uh you know you see folks kind of utilizing to make the decision of creating their own company or or, or lifestyle business and you know what what do you think uh, in your experiences might be some of the best reasons to do something like this yeah some obvious bad reasons are the you know get rich quick mentality like this industry has proven one thing is that you can get rich quick like the potential is there you see it all over but going after something with those intentions they're extremely lucky to actually go through you have to be extremely lucky or extremely diligent in the parts that aren't really in my opinion too worth exploring if that's your sole intention um it's very extractive just in yeah, nature extractive. just to be exactly. trying to hyper educate yourself on the aspects that are going to be able to allow you to extract money the most amount of money the quickest um that's an obvious bad reason a maybe not so obvious good reason but should be obvious good reason is your conviction towards what you're building yeah. um eventually as you talk about this eventually if you don't have true conviction if you don't believe in what you're building it'll 
either catch up to you in your subconscious, it'll catch up to you in your conscious, or it'll catch up to you in the people that you interact with. They'll understand what you're doing. Um, and it won't resonate as well as it would if you, and not to say that it's not possible, not to say that like you can not care about this at all and make money in it, but it definitely helps to have that true conviction and understand what is being built and why it's being built and understand why you want things to be built. Do you want it to be built for maximum extraction or do you want it to be built to make your specific niche community's lives better or the general lives of ticket issuers better or ticket mm-hmm. ticket um, you know purchasers or venue goers yeah. whatever your thing is whatever the the community or industry that you're trying to see be improved by this that is kind of where I would say is a good idea to, to create a business around something you believe in and having the conviction to go through with it Totally, totally agree. And I think the conviction that you two have is very, you know, it shines through a lot. And so, you know, I know you guys met on the servers and you kind of were, you know, friends before beginning I'm Not Art, but what about like your dynamic and maybe like the founding cohorts dynamic was it that you thought you could, okay, I can trust these people. Let's, let's start something really legitimate here and like take, take off and, and run with it. Um, what, what about that founding group was like, all right, let's go. Yeah, you know, I, I think it, it's really like like all kind of relationships kind of developed over time. And in the beginning, when it was more of a passion project, like a COVID, COVID project, like you're saying, Zach, like we had no intention at that point of opening anything physical, quitting our jobs and doing all that. So I think we we're able to kind of really see and respect each other's skill sets and ability. And we're really just, we kept impressing ourselves and our ability to, to throw these virtual metaverse events, to build these environments, to host these art exhibitions, because it required a lot of people and a lot of time, and we were doing it all for free. And so I think that was what, we always talked about it, it kind of, we felt like there was a little bit of a moat around what we we're doing, because what we were doing was like financially impossible. It was, it took a group of like eight to 10 people dedicating a ton of time and resources to doing something without any like immediate return. and. It just kind of, I think from there, we really started learning more and more about each other. And, you know, I think the fact that this started with a lot of digital relationships, I think maybe is a, speaks to that, like why we're here in the first place, you know, because we had a, a level of comfortability and, and like have been already in this space. It's the early, it's the people in, in kind of this age range that, that we are, Zach, I'm now 35-ish. 31. Yeah, so I think it was just like from, AOL Instant Messenger to the evolution of like early social media to using TeamSpeak to using Ventrilo Discord, you know, and I think it's just like, I mean, IRC back in the day. Like, I think that there's just a generation that's kind of grown up digitally native that is now, you know, and I think I'm now, I want more people to, to be doing this, but it's like, this is our time to impact kind of like the future of like technology, the future of relationships, the future of, of how humans interact you know using the internet and i think that to me that's why sorry i'm going off on a on a tangent but like I'm, it's just it's a once in a lifetime opportunity to to be able to build in in directions that nobody else has and it was tangents like that that for me were like okay speaking my language we learned some things early on which was like okay maybe sitting in discord just having jam sessions a lot of great ideas came from those jam sessions but a lot of useless just conversation that you know it just it it goes on and it it really shows you who that person is mm-hmm. right it's like you just 
as you're talking, you're sitting there, everyone is doing something. Either someone is working on graphics and streaming their graphics and everyone's making you know, adjustments to it and saying, hey, you know, this could be done with this way or this. It's not always productive. It just boils down into conversations. And then when you get a group of people together for that many hours having conversations, eventually you realize like, okay, they have to be either extremely good actors, which I don't give any of them credit for no, being. No, 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 no. Or they're genuine in what they're talking about. And so that was to me where it's like, okay, all these groups of, of people, each one, they have their skill set. Each one has the greater vision and understands it, stemming from Matt. And all of us are putting together these pieces, working these long hours, having these jam sessions. Okay, that, I can trust these people, green light, like let's let's quit the job and let's see where this can take us. It's great to see such a passionate group, you know? And I think when you were asked the question earlier about like what reasons to start or to not start, I think like, you know, passion is, is, is incredibly important, but not everything. And so I think like we, we were such a passionate group about building community, about creating in the metaverse and pushing the limits. And I think it goes back to conviction, the word that you guys were using earlier, because it's like, it's beyond kind of the passion we have for this concept. Like the reason we started the business, the reason we keep going, the speed we are is that we have this conviction that this technology is a true game changer. And the more people we can onboard to the technology, the better, especially if you do that in a fair, distributed, equitable way. Mm-hmm. Like the, the more impact you can have on the city of Chicago and at large the world in terms of, mm-hmm. and so we are very, like a lot of crypto, we are very kind of idealistic. We are very, and, and, and I think like that's a core ethos of what I'm not art is. And so we have a conviction that the technology has the ability to make the world a better place. And, you know, we want to implement that, whether it looks, you know, through just throwing local art exhibitions or doing some sort of token gated like NFT party or, you know, flying across the world to, to teach a, a classroom of, of people, you know, about how to get started. Like, I think that we don't know our final business models. We expect to continue to adjust and pivot based off what our community needs and wants. You know, but it's a it's that conviction that the technology is a true game changer mm-hmm. for, for artists, for, for, for the world. Yeah. So, yeah. And thank you for facilitating that accessibility to the education and et cetera to so our community. I think it's really important, especially to onboard, you know, like what our investment thesis is, the next billion yeah. users into blockchain. Um, and so with that said, what is your favorite kind of part? I know we've talked about, you know, culture and how Web3 and culture are influencing each other, but... Um, specifically about I'm Not Art and those that you're your kind of core team, like those who you're working every day with. What has been your most favorite part about the culture you've been able to kind of curate and customize in the gallery and just kind of among each other? Yeah, we have a really unique work environment because it, it very much is a like a hybrid art gallery slash like working Wait, space. not everybody has ping pong tables mm-hmm. in their backyard? <laughs> yeah, you know, mm-hmm. and so like we're, we're able... You know, we're able to keep it light, and it's in spirit of I think the the kind of the the whole company and brand and kind of ethos that we're trying to create. Like this is a spot for creativity. It is a spot to exchange ideas and to feel free about the exchange of ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a spot of collaboration, and so I think like we're able to really carry over a lot of the energy that we get when we do host an event. Like often we'll host an event, and just the conversations we have, the things we learn just the whole night just kind of continues to kind of like reinvigorate us where 
you know, like running a startup, not every day you wake up and you're just like, oh, you know, let's let's attack the day. That conviction. Yeah, exactly. You know, like conviction and passion only go so far. Um, But, you know, I think it's we keep getting re-energized constantly by these types of events. We're doing the satisfaction of putting up something like a digital, physical, token gated in the metaverse uh, album debut, uh, album launch party like we did. And so. Uh, also, I think that um, as far as like individuals on the company, I just continue to get impressed by the dynamic range and skill sets that everybody brings to the table. It's part of the reason we got here to begin with is we did have these weird skill sets. So, you know, watching Neckbeard do, do literally everything around here um, from a, a metaverse and physical perspective, just the, the work ethic that we see from, you know, getting all the displays outside, inside, pop up, renting U-Hauls, our team literally doing it all um it's been i just i think we keep earning each other's respect even deeper by that plus x got a mean forehand so probably the best thing that we've got mm-hmm. work environment is the forehand to forehand we got outside in the ping pong forehand table. to forehand rhythm is important yeah <laughs> really yeah, really yeah. important a working the, environment the big dynamic there. exactly exactly yeah Matt, and i think i'll clear something up the reason he called me neckbeard was because my ens name is neckbeard.eth that's kind of, and it, it's a very web3 style of having a public facing persona is that my you know my government gamer tag is Zach and a lot of people know me by that but a lot of people know me by neckbeard and I never know when to introduce myself. I realize I called you neckbeard my bad. It's just second nature to him he's just gonna you yeah. know so it's either neckbeard or Are Zach. Are we doxing you the same right person. No. I, yeah no 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 I already I doxed myself. Yeah, I actually yeah. doxed myself on an education sure. lesson by buying my last name on uh, ENS for the purposes of demoing it. Mm. I'm like, oh, well, that's forever on the blockchain. So it's just, that's <laughs> run with I'm it. Yeah, fully yeah. doxed. We, you know, obviously like in this whole world, doxing and anonymity is like key. And, and I, I think that, you know, anonymity should be preserved for people that want it to be preserved. But I also think there's importance in, in creating um, communities or creating products or creating companies that are not anonymous. You know, I think that from, all of the what they call rug pulls in the NFT space, etc. All the different times we've seen anonymous developers run run away mm-hmm. and do all these things that we thought, hey, you know, we're building something here in Chicago. People are gonna know who we are. Let's we we have to take a public stance that hey, we we will be public figures inside of this world of Web three. Not something that that neither you Zach really yeah. neck right or I think about, you know, and would would that wasn't the goal for sure, but. Um, it's kind of, we think that we're able to be more effective educators and um, ambassadors of the space by being publicly known. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's kind of a part of crypto that I tend to disagree with too. It's just, you know, like I think there is a fine line, right? Like I'm not saying I, you know, I think people should have the right to remain anonymous kind of so long as what they're doing is not, uh, you know, illicit or criminal right. activity. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think I draw kind of a clear line of having to come down on on that stuff, um, but you know, if, if the activity is is harmless, then you know, I think I could I could kind of see the use case for anonymity. And it's, as well. it's it's motives too. Like a lot of people that got into crypto, they got into it because of things being anonymous, because of centralized authority and what centralized authority can do with a swath of information from you. And so um, ha- having that balance, it's just for us, it was. We wanted to have a physical spot, so we knew we were going to have to have an LLC. We're not going to like try and jump around all these things. At the end of the day, if the motives are there, if you're anonymous, that's fine. If your motives for being anonymous are that you actually will have like 
sovereignty of your information and your data and your um, you to take that seriously by all means but if your motives are because you don't want to have any sort of accountability and you want to be able to skate off that is That's where it gets a little bit foggy for me and yeah. it's, it's an interesting um, kind of point of development in the space too just seeing things like proof of humanity and oh, love um, just a variety of different ways that we can use cryptographic truth to um, you know maybe not reveal things that people wouldn't like revealed about their uh, identities their digital mm -hmm. identities but then also still hold people accountable so in some sense I think we've always seen this as a winner-take-all kind of space of like it needs to be a binary it's you know either gonna be we're gonna know everything about you or not yeah. but I think actually you know uh, funny enough and ironically enough I think there might actually be a lot of innovation in regulation itself um, and the way that we look at regulation and identity tracking mm -hmm. from cryptographic yeah. truth, right? Um, so is it necessary, for example, to do AML, KYC fully or, you know, are those proxies for right. things that we really care about, right? Um, and, and can we kind of narrow down the exact details of someone's identity that we really care about so that we can assure that, you know, those things are, are, are fine and, and kind of according to code, but... Yeah. Um, you know, not fully dox people's identities as oh, well. It's one of the things that got me in the space, yeah. honestly, was the idea of, because like working in Web2 on the, the digital advertising side, you are literally in the business of buying and selling people's information that they're giving to apps that they didn't even realize that they're giving, essentially. And so like to do location tracking and all those, all those types of things, knowing kind of JavaScript and how that's used to track, you know, through cookies across different types of things. Um, and the idea of having kind of like the user getting a better value out of kind of the way that they go through the internet, the user having true control over their information and identity, like the concept of self-sovereign identity of a user actually owning their identity and the information that's inside. And blockchain will allow people to, Alejandro, exactly what you're saying, kind of show people only what they need to see. So you can say, hey, like I need a X amount in my bank account or my credit score needs to be X or between these ranges, like smart contracts and blockchain are going to essentially make that process like work so that a somebody can check to make sure you have a minimum balance in your account they don't need to know exactly what that balance is and all that different type of stuff so to me like self-sovereign identity is like one of these like kind of big moments that when that fully kind of becomes a reality all of a sudden all these new decentralized applications or dApps are going to be created because around those identities mm -hmm. that's when you can create a decentralized uber or decentralized airbnb you create a true peer-to-peer -peer, like sharing economy that doesn't rely on these centralized organizations. So sorry if that went too big picture, but I think that that's exactly like the concept of users owning their information and being able to show only what they want to who they want, I think is like, I'm excited to build alongside that. Yeah. I think that's a great kind of example of a, like where, why that's important and where it can go in the future, yeah. um, which is like a lot of what I focus on here since, you know, yeah. non-technical background and all. but. Um, with that, all of that being said, what was kind of like the hardest part about your experience with getting I'm Not Art running and like starting this business? Like what were some of the early roadblockers you guys encountered and how did you overcome them? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, I think none, none of us on the team have like have traditional startup experience or traditional financial like world experience or any of that stuff. And so... It was kind of, I think, navigating like how this went from a pet project to like a real company, you know, because in the beginning, like we had very kind of just 
not not a lot of complexity to how exactly this would all you know where this would go we pivoted a couple times and now i think the challenge for us is not having kind of experience with startups is just okay like how do we how do we kind of formalize what we're doing um we've got a, a an ability to create these cool next level experiences but we don't have a traditional agency backend. we don't have you know those resources and so i think that's kind of you know truthfully what we continue to navigate is how do we align with where there are existing agencies that have rosters of clients that are looking for Web3 experiences. Um, and in general, I think it speaks to our, our kind of a future, uh, how we, from a biz dev standpoint, ha entertain partnerships or alignments with other agencies and, and related businesses that have more of that infrastructure. Yeah, I'd say then too, pretty, pretty much on that point is one of the hardest hurdles for us has seemingly been because we we are friends we all like each other we have a great time when we're at work we have a great time outside of work um it's a it's a great environment um and then you couple that with web3 and the kind of the web3 environment of how you know collaborative and freeing and work from home and so the biggest hurdle was kind of taking the the discord friend circle and really having to get professional with it and we still struggle with that hence the ping pong table on the back but <laughs> oh, i think that's a plus but oh yeah, yeah. No, you're you're definitely right yeah. most offices have them <laughs> yeah. most offices have them right it's, 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 it's seeming like the corporations are reverting back to like arbor culture yeah. while we're desperate for some <laughs> yeah. of their like policies yeah. <laughs> oh no that's actually a great yeah, that's that's that's, yeah. yeah. ping pong table is pretty institutional yeah you're, <laughs> you are right but it's been that it's it's been really trying to taking a friend circle and translating it into a business with you know lines in between and um kind of having hard conversations and that that's kind of been one of the hardest parts for me personally mm -hmm. is like becoming more professional i am a pretty laid-back guy but it's like okay if i'm gonna have real tasks and you know a company that has things that have to get done when they need to get done i have to like totally not yeah, be I, a I discord troll yeah, <laughs> for sure for sure i can see how that discipline among friends might be a, a yeah. challenge for yeah sure. definitely at the same time that you know might work in your favor and that it may mm -hmm. be that you can communicate more openly with your friends and feel more yeah. comfortable doing so and yeah. you know I think communication is one of the most important things in all companies um, much more so startups when it's a close-knit group mm -hmm. of people and you're working 100%. so yeah. much and I think to your point right like another thing that I really would lo love to emphasize here is just um, how hard it is to start a business um, oh, yeah. and and you know, I think it, it, we, we think about these things like, oh, you know, I, I want to do my own project. I want to, you know, kind of be my own boss. But in reality, like you're you're accepting a tremendous amount of responsibility and risk. And, risk, and yeah. it's it's very it's a very arduous, strenuous, laborious process. And, you know, I just I love emphasizing how hard it is because I always like to give entrepreneurs the credit that they deserve um, and just let you know, people who m maybe don't have that experience um, and are thinking about it kind of understand what they're getting into. And I think it's a decision that people should really make in a well thought out manner. Um, and just knowing that at the same time, I think, you know, going through those difficulties with a group of people and working on something that you really care about is one of the most rewarding things you can do. Mm -hmm. Right. And so those two things are kind of intricately connected. And I think it's your conviction that really brought you there. Yeah, 100 percent. I think it's like just feeling like having a, a really good understanding of kind of where this is going in terms of the evolution of kind of like this blockchain technology that's in its mm -hmm. infancy 
this new opportunity that NFTs, as as far as NFTs being art and collectibles, brought in such a new audience. And so, how do we sit in the middle of this, you know? And how do we how do we do something? You know, I think with this being kind of our first startup and our first company, I think it's the the stressors really come from from everywhere, you know. And I think then the deeper you get you get in it, if you have conviction like we do. You know, you need to put you know put your money where your mouth is, and I think that we've taken also a typical route, an atypical route to this point, not having any kind of like seed money or something like that. It's all been kind of put back in from the original team, you know, related to to cryptocurrency. You know, is really what made all this possible in the first place. And so, uh, I'm definitely, you know, whether it's just kind of work life balance, family, everything. Like, there's an incredible amount of of kind of stressors or pressures and I think it's just about what I'm continuing to try to deal with is like just how do you like how do you just continue to manage everything and make sure that you're allocating your time as soon as smart as possible I think that's something that it really comes down to that we've over the last year have learned a lot about is like how do we allocate our time more efficiently how do we focus on the right things how do we all make sure that you know not just me not just Zach but all of our all of the team members have work-life balance you know obviously you can get it here at the gallery but that's not where your significant others are that's not where your core family is we are family but we are not the family so you know I think it's it's been a lot and I think we're still trying to deal with it I think we, we took a you know a really we didn't do ourselves any favors by just going it alone to this point um, but you know I that's sometimes it just kind of goes down the way it goes down and you know here we are Support, so. support's always nice too I, mm-hmm. and you know I can't tell what came first the conviction or the support but <laughs> um, you know my wife really supports what I'm doing here and what we're trying to build here and like I say I can't tell if the support was first or if the support is just amplified by the fact that she sees genuine conviction in this and you know Maybe she's just happy to uh, have someone else to talk to about this. (laughs) You know, I go away for eight hours a day to talk about this instead of just like hanging out and being like, you don't understand. It's going to be in baseball games. (laughs) I saw an ad uh, on the New York train my friend sent me that was like, liking crypto is not a personality trait. Right? Yeah, I know. It's it's related to your point here. Yeah, it resonates with me. That's so funny. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I need to take that more seriously because it's a... You know, it's all you can talk about. I, I mean, it's all I talk about to a large extent. It's kind of, uh, you know, dominating my social life as well. But, you know, I think that, that to your point, right, like that, that just kind of displays a genuine yeah. conviction right. and like passion that you have for the space. And, you know, like I'll make an analogy here. I think starting a business is kind of like launching a rocket ship to the moon. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to have constant uh, headwinds that you're 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 facing. Right. Yeah. And you're going to run out of fuel and you're going to burn your fuel and you're just, you know, you're hoping that you have enough fuel in the tank to get you to the moon. And like the the fuel that you're burning and the screws that are coming off are, uh, you know, the the fuel that you're burning to to get there um, and and kind of overcome the challenges of the screws falling off and and all the complexities of of space travel are Mm -hmm. really just the conviction and the passion that you have for it, right? And so... One thing I, I always like to, to tell people when they, you know, just kind of ask for advice or anything like that is like, if you were not paid to work on what you're working on, would you still be working on it? Yeah. Um, and, you know, that displays like a genuine uh, mm-hmm. conviction and passion that you have for the space a- apart from prestige or money. Um, and that's really what you need if you want to start a successful company, because it's going to be incredibly difficult. And when it gets hard, you cannot quit. 
And, you know, the biggest determinant of that is just really how much do you care about this, right? Yeah. And, and how much, um, and, and to your point, right, like if, if all of the co-founders really care about it, that's going to be a bonding point and it's only going to be something that strengthens the relationship. And, you know, maybe when someone's, um, you know, not as energized, the other person can come in and vice versa. But, you know, that fuel that you need to get there is really yeah. just the conviction. That's why, like, I'm just so proud of the team that we have because it's, like, to, to a person, it's just everybody is so kind of just committed to this larger idea and concept and even with it being undefined like i think we understand that like our our like our ethos and like what we're trying to do like we're genuinely a artist first gallery organization and i think like we're trying to put on for the city of chicago these events and opportunities that you know the city and at large the whole world can benefit from and it's I think it's a very unique kind of set of challenges and, and opportunities. And um, yeah, we wouldn't be here if we didn't have the, the team. But the, the unique action. opportunities are exciting. Like, you know, I, I never had aspirations. We don't have aspirations to be, to build like a ticketing software to compete with Ticketmaster on, you know, the decentralized Ticketmaster. Mm -hmm. But what we have is a Web3 venue that can utilize whoever is building that tech in a scale in which is a playground and kind of start building these these experiences that we know are going to happen. And we're not necessarily going to be the ones that are going to build the, the products that are going to facilitate that, but that, that product stack is, available, stack is available right now in Web3. You know, you it's a matter of finding those things playing with them, evolving, adapting along with, and just being experienced first, artists first, seeing that artists are the ones using this platform right now. It's a lot of, you know, FinTech and, and DeFi people that are using the technology for that. Some people, you know, do people still pay for things with Ethereum? Like, do people just give peer-to-peer -peer Ethereum these days? A little bit. Maybe it's a little bit, but, you know, it's the, it yeah. is the artist. It is that cultural movement that is bringing adoption in users so um, putting that first and trying to make cool experiences we see as a small way of leading the way in what these larger places can do with it and hopefully they get to it soon because yeah and hopefully we're, we're helping them implement it you know I think like that's one of the things that we're able to do and we're realizing like that's kind of one of our core offerings is like helping these companies like implement these kind of digital tickets, digital digital items, like just trying to, it's like a whole like event production stack, right? That involves the ticket being the NFT. And so with the house here, we're able to really demo and experiment with that technology. So we've been really lucky to have networked just based off being in the space when we have with these companies that are working on that experimental tech and we can debut it and we can experiment with it. We can beta test it here at, at the house. And so the idea is, you know, this is truly the first like digital Web3 venue that exists. Why can't we have NFT gated access to the actual door lock mechanism? You know, why can't we have some sort of, you know, hoodie that acts as a pass that allows people in Saturdays and Sundays during the afternoon for being at beer pong and ping pong, you know, during the summer of Chicago. And so that's, I think we look at the house, we look at this building as a canvas for our artists, we look at it as a canvas for the technologists that are building the physical digital infrastructure that you need for these types of future experiences. And um, yeah, I mean, that, that, that truly does like excite us every day, you know, whether we wake up, you know, feeling that way or not, but 
once we wrap our head around it, we, we remember what we're building towards, I think we, we snap out of it pretty quick. Yeah, and so that being said, like, I think you guys are obviously very excited about NFTs and about, you know, the potential for it to disrupt businesses, whether, you know, you guys are the ones embarking on that mission or not, or just kind of being catalysts for that in the space. Um, I think today, you know, there are a lot of critiques to, to NFTs, and yeah. a lot of them are kind of misfounded, right? Like. So this idea that, you know, for example, you know, NFTs have no real value or that, you know, a lot of the, you know, use cases today are speculative and that's the way the space is going to remain. Um, I think that it comes from a kind of general misunderstanding of, of you know, early adoption use cases. And, mm-hmm. and you know, it's not 100 percent misfounded because today a lot of the use cases that have gotten us here in terms of adoption are just kind of wrapping JPEGs um, around, you know, uh, a smart contract or something like right. that but I think that you know if you kind of extract the technology and look at it from a 30,000 view kind of 30,000 foot view um, you realize that that really what it is is just um, you know the ability to represent ownership of a digital item right or concept yeah. on a blockchain and um, I think even a lot of people would attack that view and say hey well you know, really, it doesn't matter if you quote unquote own this thing, I can screenshot it or I can divulge it. But, um, you know, I think they're entirely kind of missing the point of, of what NFT technology really is. And, and it doesn't really matter if you can, you know, duplicate the actual item that we're wrapping around the technology. Right. Um, the point is that everybody's going to look at the ledger and the technology to see who owns the verified asset, right? And, and basically it's the actual ledger that points us to ownership and that that's the innovation right well you know and web 2 has kind of helped out with this a bit but it definitely needs some work because ownership is something that is being taken from us anyway you know this this kind of renting out everything whether it's the subscription model for the music you listen to where like true ownership is starting to decay as is um, so how I always try and respond to that is it's this isn't something that's trying to be interjected into the this beautiful system that is giving back to you know from the top down and everything's beautiful everything's working this is taking what these problems that are becoming more abundantly clear and you know i don't know if it's the prices spotify getting up to fifty dollars a month where people go whoa wait let's snap out of this what just happened like i was buying a cd for 15 bucks 25 years ago and now my monthly subscription is at whatever it is. And so it's this understanding of ownership and digital ownership that I think really is what snaps people into place with understanding this. Yes, you can have a duplicate board ape, but that board ape is the board ape. And right, you can yeah. see that that board ape is the board ape because right. of the technology. Yeah, just check the wallet and see what the smart The very technology is. that provided the opportunity to make a for- fake board ape is what you utilize to prove the real one. The yeah. interesting question where like people that ask that are under- not understanding why, the technology is the answer. It's They're the at- ledger, right? It's They're the missing ledger. the point that it's mm-hmm. actually the exactly. ledger and not the picture right. itself. Exactly. And it's actually the concept mm-hmm. of ownership exactly. that's important, not exactly actually right. being yeah. able to go into you know, OpenSea and seeing some picture of an ape, mm-hmm. right? It's like, no, I yeah. actually own this and anybody can look at the ledger and verify that I own this and how much I paid for this. Right. Right. Curious what you guys think, since it's such a nuanced idea for a lot of mainstream folks, what you think like the like killer app use case for NFTs will be? 
Ooh, killer app use case for NFTs. I think when NFTs start representing more like tangible physical goods and stuff like that, like as it relates to kind of higher ticket items, like um, buying a, a building takes so many third parties where they're escrowing the money, the title, all these other all these other details. It takes a lot of time. The money has to be delivered. The wires have to land. Everything needs to be checked off. So I think that like in the future, NFTs, like the applications for NFTs are. Are, are almost like endless in that they, an NFT is just a, a token that represents any asset, right? And that's what Alejandro, you're getting at. Yeah. And so like, I'm interested when we've tokenized uh, real estate, when we've tokenized like, you know, uh, auto, like automotives and, and, and types of things like that. Um, but there's a lot of other really interesting use cases about creating NFTs, even around your own personal information. And Zach, you like to talk about that. Yeah, that's probably, that's a little bit out there and I know that the, the timeline for that is, is pretty is pretty far out. I'd say the, but yes, tokenized identity, tokenized information, you know, that is something that really excites me. But I'd say in the immediate future, it's ticketing for me. There's just, that it just seems to me that that is the best way of integrating mass adoption because so many people watch sports across so many different sports. Yeah. Um, it's a great way of, adding in a layer of like data visualization and like cool, you know, nerdy analytics mm -hmm. into art, you know, leveraging generative art and, and kind of how the vast amount of information we have in sports, it's like what makes sports pretty cool to watch now is like you get absolutely every piece of information you can imagine. Like what's the curvature of the, the ball coming in um, on the curveball? Like how fast is it coming? What is it? And so utilizing some of those things as well as the gated entry and kind of these user lists that you can build and the rewards benefits and the secondary sales that will happen for the users as well as the organizations and then the salary caps that'll raise because now they can make more money and the better players that will it's like that integration into sports and ticketing for me is like has been one of the most exciting things for me that I'm looking forward to that it's just so close but just not, yeah. not quite yeah. there. I think that like ID part is really so interesting how like because we all really just give our data away like for free yeah, right now exactly. like Literally. we can totally monetize of the, that exactly. yeah. it's, it, it, it's, it's like here's all my info it does hinge on the proof of humanity thing though yeah like a lot of this does hinge on whether or not you could tie you know a single human being to a wallet mm -hmm. um, right. and i don't think we have a clear understanding of how that's going to work something i've thought a lot about is you know i think actually blockchain technology and the concept of digital identities and wallets kind of is a goldmine for companies because mm -hmm. automatically they can index people's data and activities yeah. on the blockchain and see, okay, if this person swapped this asset on Uniswap within the last 10 days, are they more likely to be the kind of person who's going to buy a board ape? And should I just be marketing these wallets? Yep, yeah. Right. Um, and all that, you know, information is just publicly available. Mm -hmm. Right. But then it's like this question of, okay, well, if they split their identities, how do I know that that person um, is not going to have a different wallet with, that they use just for, you know, DAX mm -hmm. activities and other activities? Which a lot of people do, right? And so yeah, which a lot of people do. And should, so, but yeah, yeah. exactly. Right, and so it's, a, it's an interesting problem of like, you yeah. know, it, it doesn't guarantee that that's going to be what the future kind of, of uh, marketing on blockchains looks like, but I think it would be a really interesting use case. Like if you had a sports wallet and 
really somebody's paying you to use this wallet because what they're really paying you for is your data, right? right. Like if you promise to this company that has a sports wallet, to your point, that you're not going to use several wallets to, you know, kind of um, abstract away your, your use of other uh, assets that might give them an idea of your propensity to buy certain goods, and you, you make that promise, then really what you're selling is your data. Yeah, right. And it makes sense that they would want to pay you for that mm -hmm. because they're going to be able to, you know, capture more users doing that. Yeah, one, one sort of, like one visualization that really helped me was uh, Brendan Eich, who was the creator of JavaScript and then went on to create um, Brave Browser and Basic Attention Token, this concept of kind of like how do you value user attention? And really, this is like the theory of building a better internet, better browsers, and kind of changing the way that the online ecosystem works. And this goes back down to my days like on the other side, on the marketing side, you kind of think of it almost as a triangle where you have kind of at the top, you've got a kind of, um, you know, an advertiser. They're, they're trying to, to get, you know, they're spending money online to, to, to reach consumers. Then you have a publisher, right? A publisher takes the ad inventory of the advertiser and then tries to monetize it. And then the third part of that triangle is the user. So you've got like the user, the advertiser, and the publisher, like the three core components of like this market. But in the Web2 world, you have all of these ad servers or all these people that sit in the middle. So if you look at it, the value that goes between, let's say there's 100 value that starts with the advertiser. They're putting in $100. The publisher should get $100. But what's happened in the, the Web2 world is the publisher only receives a fraction of that. Like some crazy number of around like half of it is like obfuscated right now mm -hmm. in some type of way. Mm -hmm. And so the amount, the value that the publisher gets from the advertiser is not enough to keep the lights on. So the publisher model Web2 has failed many times. Look at Mashable, you look at a lot of these, these sites that have had high valuations that got crushed because the publisher model just serving ads, you need to move to a subscription model, mm -hmm. which doesn't, which also has, has you know, its own issues. It's very hard to get that subscription. Microtransactions and crypto might, um, might change that. Um, but if you can take away some of the middlemen and what it takes, that hundred, that let's say it goes to 60 to the advertiser right now and the user is negative, it's zero value to us. In fact, our information is the value that everybody's getting. <laughs> negative. Right. So if you look at it, let's say in a world where instead of 60%, there's 95% of the value, you can give that extra 5% to the user potentially, which mm -hmm. is what you're talking about, which yeah. is how do you actually compensate people by giving their information about potential purchase history that could then inform advertisers to kind of hyper-target based off of like previous actions and stuff like yeah. that. And so to me, like- Well, and it's gonna come down to, the users are going to have to be paid for their data. There's not yeah. gonna be yes. any way around yes. it because they're gonna have the choice of abstracting away their digital identities from different platforms and therefore the platform can't trace exactly. what they do unanimously across the entire blockchain, right? And so. Given that they have that choice, they're going to have to be paid for their data. Mm -hmm. 100%. Right? Unless they choose the freemium, you know, centralized version, in which case, of whatever the application is. So it does come down to some education, and like the end user does have to understand what the power that they hold with their own identity, with their own information. Yep. The things that you do on the day-to-day -day basis on your phone that you take for granted is money to somebody else. It's yeah. going to be shocking to people once we reclaim it because the amount of value yeah. there, like Web2, I heard somebody say, they call it like surveillance capitalism. They basically like build up these social media empires, trying to get as much information on people. Like we are the product in Web2. Web3 mm -hmm. offers a new social contract for the internet. A Web1, internet. we would have never put our information like, on Exactly, it's right? Like, yeah, Web1, were you crazy? Yeah. Yeah. Like, they, just abstractly, like, that, that has really been the Web2 business model. 100%. Is predicting human behavior. And now all of a sudden, 
Here Comes Web 3 and Web 3 is saying, actually, with this concept of a digital identity, mm -hmm. you're not going to know where I start and end. And so you actually have no idea, you know, most of the characteristics that you would need to know about me in order yeah. to predict my behavior. You need, you need, you pay right. me for me to exactly. give you the data that's yeah. going to help you exactly. target this and, or like our right. yeah. And so that's why my stance on this is like, and this is like very closely related to privacy is why well, I think empirically, like when users don't have a choice, they don't really care that much about mm -hmm. privacy, right? Like yeah. we've seen that everybody yeah. continues to use TikTok, exactly. Facebook, yeah. Google, everything. Um, but when they have a choice, they all things equal for sure will care about privacy, right? And so the thing to me is like, how can we give people the choice to care about privacy and Web3 does that? And at the end of the day, in any business, users are what matter. Yeah. So if there's, you know, a service that's just as good and gives them the choice, mm -hmm. users are gonna use that. Um, but it has to be just as good. It has to be just as good. That's the challenge. If not better. That's the challenge. And I think, um, you know, that's why it's like, I kind of default to, let's give users the option to maintain their privacy mm -hmm. so long as what they're doing is not an ethical yeah. or criminal uh, or illicit kind of activity. And oftentimes that's hard, but I think that in and of itself is one of the most potentially innovative uh, kind of things about crypto is. is that you can actually abstract away activities that, um, or identity um, to, you know, essential aspects that you need to know about them to guarantee that they're not doing right. illicit things yeah. while preserving the rest of their identity. And it's like the, the blockchain is a great, like, in terms of IRS and reporting and, and record it's keeping, like a forensic, like it, is, it exactly. could not be yeah. a better tool for that. You know, like yeah. inherently it's a ledger and it ledgers everything. You know, yeah. I've been able to track transactions that I would have never been able to track conventionally. Like it would have yeah. been too long ago. It would have been through cash or whatever. It's like, I know I have no idea. Like I can piece together. It's like, oh wait, this was from this wallet that, and yeah. slowly piece it together so imagine a world in which you know you pay for everything with crypto and you're mm -hmm. going to do you're a business owner and you're going to do your taxes and it's you know right you take a survey um and then it's like oh yeah we already wrote all these things off for you yeah for your business because yeah. we, we saw that there were business expenses and yeah already done in the smart contract oh that's a man that'd be great um one day yeah your taxes just pull straight yeah, out I mean, from think about it, what a hassle is right now all the different legacy systems the more stuff that gets tokenized and the more stuff that gets settled ultimately on blockchain the more mm -hmm. assets the easier it's going to be to create that stuff which creates massive efficiencies even for, you know for for everybody you know for the person on uh, you know the actual person and for the irs so so i think i'm guilty of getting a <laughs> topic i you know i just want to say like i think we've talked a lot about nfts um, and you know, kind of where the market's going, blockchain more broadly, um, and obviously, you know, from a thirty thousand foot view, like NFTs really do have the potential to represent any sort of abstract or physical value on a you know public digital ledger, um, and so they can really be used for pretty much anything. And you know, we're going to be seeing a ton of new and interesting use cases. But specifically, I want to get your opinion on how NFTs are going to change consumer loyalty and art. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, NFTs are, are, are a secret weapon for customer loyalty right now. It's um, the ability to create and distribute free collectibles or free assets that could then be prescribed value in terms of access or experiences is ultimately just the evolution of the loyalty system. Mm -hmm. And, like, this is something that I know very 
very closely having worked on Web2 loyalty systems for brands. And to me, Web3 and blockchain technology is the ultimate backend for that type of concept. Um, so I think as far as loyalty, I think that a lot of legacy loyalty systems are gonna are going to onboard onto Web3 because ultimately it, it is it makes it makes the most sense. Um, as far as as far as art, um, I think we're we're very much in the middle of a um, a technological renaissance right now as it pertains to art. And I think as more and more creatives, whether they be just traditional type of artists or musicians, fashion designers, etc., the more that enter this space, the more people that will be pushing that envelope on what 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 can an NBA, uh, NBA what can an NFT be? You know what what can the outputs look like? It's we just did an exhibition at our gallery pairing um, NFT artists from Chicago with Chicago fashion designers who have never done anything in Web three yet, and the outputs of that were amazing. It's the outputs like where this space is going is only up to our own imaginations. And so, you know, I think we're in the very early stages of kind of this this legitimate renaissance that's happening in this art space. And to have like the venue in Chicago for that is just really, that's the conviction I've got around that. It's actually seeing it happen live. I don't know about you, Zach. Yeah, and I think, you know, when you look at technological innovation, as it comes to wearable screens and augmented reality glasses and more affordable digital f canvases for you know your homes and stuff, um, one thing that the crypto art space—if you want to call it NFTs—but you know one thing that that genre um, is really is really strong in is animation and having. Yeah you know, moving objects and moving audio, um, the multimedia aspect of crypto art is what I think is most revolutionary and what will be, what, where this is headed is, you know, people will have this stuff in their, you know, these screens in their houses. You know, we, you kind of saw that, it really never took too far off with like digital picture frames, but when you have a culture behind it, aside from just a you know digital picture of you and your family that rotates through, not that that's not a digital belonging, but you know when you have that underlying culture to that make that gives context to that artwork, you'll see the the art space gravitate more and more towards animated because at the end of the day, you can get a still picture printed, and that's one of the great things about still print pictures is that you can get them printed you can link them to a token and you can have a digital physical kind of representation of it way harder to do when it comes to animation so when you just got a screen and you got that screen on your wrist or your house um, I see the art space moving heavily towards really leveraging augmented reality and screens mm -hmm. I think also like when we were talking about ticketing earlier like I feel like it'll only take like one decentralized mm -hmm. ticketing app to come to market and have you know one influencer that says you know download the app and you get five dollars off your first ticket whatever like I feel like everyone will rush over right? right and then it's like all right that's the new ticketing app it's not Ticketmaster or Vivid Seats anymore now it's yep. you know the NFT ticketing app. Hundred percent. I think it's going to be really interesting because you have a lot of like the big players in kind of the ticketing game are these like stadiums that have mm -hmm. some of these longer deals and stuff. And what we're seeing is that there's like this new tech stack that's being created for events that are not already kind of partnered at that level with a venue and we're seeing this company token proof really 
kind of lead the way in terms of NFT gated events. And so mm-hmm. really excited to be working with them for our, our upcoming Punks Apes event. So it's gonna be the first time we actually leverage that technology. And so um, we're excited, like we were talking about earlier, using the house as like a, you know, a blank canvas or an experimental ground for that type of tech. It's a great example of us kind of adopting it. We're trying to do that. And I think it's going to be fascinating to watch the ticket masters of the world try to adjust and adapt to Web3 as these kind of natives are coming up. And then it's all overlaid over these longer term contracts that stadiums have that are coming up at a scattered way over the next couple of years. Right. Mm So it's going to be very interesting to see. I think you will see like a crescendo when people really start adopting it or Mm -hmm. ticket masters able to pivot. But my opinion, more likely they pivot after they're losing more market share. So we'll see. I don't know, but it's exciting. (laughs) We'll see. see. Agreed though. I think that's, that's the course of action. Um, wrapping up our conversation here, I want to ask, what advice would you give to uh, like a traditional artist looking to break into, you know, digital art or making NFTs? Like, how how would you onboard them, and what advice would you give? Yeah, I, I would. Starting with advice, I'd say like now is a better time than any. I mean, really for anyone, even beyond artists, in terms of starting to learn. You know what this technology is. What new new possibilities are now are now are now here. Um, so I'd say you know the first advice is like you know maybe you you've had some friends that have been telling you about it for a while. Maybe you had a friend back in the day that told you about Bitcoin. Ninety nine percent of people who had a friend that told them about Bitcoin didn't buy Bitcoin. You know ninety nine percent of people the first time they hear about NFTs or Ethereum or blockchain go to their computer and actually sign up for a Coinbase account or download MetaMask. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, don't be, you know, don't beat yourself up if maybe you're, you're thinking, oh, I should have already got on this. Now is a better time than any. And I would say if you're an artist, um, you know, whether you just want to kind of forever like immortalize or, or create a permanence of your collection, there's a lot of photographers, a lot of artists we're talking to now, a lot of them kind of, you know, older, you know, that are more concerned about the longevity of their work. If I'm a photographer, I want to mint all my favorite best shots from my portfolio to, to create this this sense of permanence of having it attached to this new ledger. And so if you think of it in that context around art, now we're creating the first ever kind of permanent kind of ledger, you know, for this concept. And so, you know, whether you're just experimenting, saying, hey, I want to mint one of my things to the blockchain for, for permanence and just for experimentation, you know, that's one way to go. And then I think, you know, if you're, there, there's this new global market that exists for NFT art and all different types of art. And um, it starts just by kind of, you know, jumping in or, or putting one foot in at least. You know, look at OpenSea. Look what, what OpenSea.io. Look what, you know, what types of things are, are selling, you know, what this looks like. And then really just kind of find artists that are within your peer set or within your the, the digital circle you're looking at and really just like follow, you know, follow them. See how they're navigating the Web3 space. You'll learn that you have to be organic in the Web3 space. Even if you're a really big name, you can't just come launch a project and you know and, and get a bunch of money. It's it's a real community that it takes intention about how to enter, how to do something that's organic, and um, you know look for somebody that that you see that is having success, that is doing it the right way, uh, and then start learning. Download MetaMask. Attend. There's a lot of free educational resources online. I'm not Art does one. We try to do one at least once a month. Um, so you know you can look at our events. I'm not Art.com. Um, and we do kind of, you know, events that anybody around the world can participate in. We have a physical audience here, but it's simulcast in the metaverse. So we can have people from all over the world, like they do join us in the metaverse for, you know, an artist onboarding. So, you know, definitely, definitely uh, go for it. Yeah, I would say just pretty, pretty cleanly, you know, start now, but start slow. 
You know, it's you you don't need to wait until you know every uh, you know niche word in our vocabulary. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to know what Wagme means to be able to download <laughs> MetaMask. Um, so you can start playing with the stuff for free. You don't need to be buying anything. You can be connecting to websites and joining Twitter Spaces and understanding the the context around this all and understanding um, you know some of the some of the lingo like Matt was saying earlier like speaking the language I'll tell you firsthand speaking the language is borderline a job in and of itself yeah, like, it's an education there's people like. who have jobs that just speak the language mm-hmm. and so that is really like a great place to start is just follow artists on Twitter that you respect that are you know fellow artists of yours that are doing things you respect in the space and you know how are they interacting with their community? Um, do the basics of security and, and start with no money and just be interacting web two with this stuff. And if you're gonna be act- re- you know, interacting with web three, make sure you're doing a wallet that has no money in it until you feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. And like Matt says, there's a lot of free resources out there where you can kind of understand the basics, just at least so insofar as being comfortable that you're not gonna lose anything. Um, and you know, my personal advice to everyone, artist or not, is really hammer down those security basics. It's gonna help you out in your personal life. The security, the web two security basics are the web three security basics. Your password manage, like how you manage your passwords, um, two-factor authentication, multi-factor authentication, like some of those basics. Um, I know a lot of people talk about them and it's probably not the most interesting answer to like the, the the question of how do artists get started mm-hmm. in this, but um, it's one I feel is extremely important. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're going to really invest into this, your time, um, you should invest in some of the back end things, you know, yeah. a ledger wallet, any sort of multi factor authentication device, preferably, but yeah, just those nerdy security basics. Oh, no, I think that's great advice. Like the same risks apply, you mm-hmm. know, from web two to web three, um, especially, you know, when any sort of personal information or finances are involved or assets. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, get, get started, take inspiration from those around you, start slow. And yeah. I think another one to put in would be, you know, stay focused. There's yeah. so many avenues that you can take in web three. And so kind of, you know, Explore them and find your niche, and yeah, like I said, stay focused. But um, yeah. thank you guys so much for the fantastic conversation. Um, do you want to kind of shout out your socials and why, where our audience can find you, etc.? Sure. Yeah. Um, so uh, we're I'm not art. Uh, we're located at 1010 North Ashland um, in kind of the the Worker Park West Town area. Uh, we're open 12 to 4 every day. So if you have any questions or want to see what an NFT gallery looks like want to want to talk web three um that's where we are so, so definitely come on by online it's i'm not art.com um so be sure to check out if we have any events and stuff like that um we do a lot of free education events like almost every event we do here is free uh, art exhibitions opening project launches uh, and we also do the community gallery open call um art exhibition so uh, should have plugged that in the last question around artists if you're getting started. But if you do, you know, want to get started, apply to some online galleries, and ours is a great one. And you can apply to it. We do it, you know, once every couple months. And if you need any help, either kind of getting that NFT minted or finding out more information, um, definitely shoot us a note. Uh, hello at I'mNotArt.com, and just check out our website. There's more information there. All right. Well, thank you guys so much. It was such a pleasure to talk to you.
Awesome. Yeah. Thank you guys again. Right. Really Thank you guys. Much. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>